why do people take lessons? Why do people take lessons? Why do they hire coaches? Right? Some people will go and they'll, they'll hire a golf coach and they'll take golf lessons. Some people will uh, hire somebody to do uh, language lessons so that they can, can uh, learn a new language. Some, some people will, will do cooking lessons. Some people do music lessons. They learn, uh, learn about the violin or, or piano or something like that. Parents are often teaching their kids. They're teaching them uh, how to cook and how to clean and how to do laundry. And why is it that we take lessons? Why is it that we learn these things? So that we can do them, right? That's why anybody would take any kind of lesson is so that they could do that thing, right? There's no reason to shell out a lot of money to go get a language coach who will instruct you on how to speak a language if you have no desire or will ever speak that language. There's, there's not really a reason that you would go and pay a golf coach so that you could learn to improve your swing if you're not going to go out and play golf, right? And the reason that parents teach their children how to do laundry and how to cook and how to clean is so that someday we hope they will be able to do those things. So this morning what I want to look at is what Jesus is teaching his disciples, or rather what he has been teaching his disciples. But before we get right into chapter 10 of the book of Matthew, we're going to back up just a little bit, and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 9. So if you'd turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 35. And this should sound, if you've been here uh, for the last several weeks, uh, this should sound familiar because we talked about this two weeks ago. This is Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few." Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And when we talked about this two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus' motivation for doing these things, right? When Jesus was going around from city to city and village to village and town to town, uh, he was proclaiming the good news, the hope of the kingdom of heaven. And he was healing every disease and every affliction. And he was doing this from town to town. And what we talked about was that if you have your eyes open and you are seeing the needs around you like Jesus was, he says the natural response then is that you would pray, God, we need help. We need help. God, would you send somebody because there is so much need that we can't handle it. We can't do Uh, we can't do all that needs to be done. And so God, would you send help? And so that's what he tells them to pray for. He says, look, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's plenty to do. There's just not enough people to do it. There's plenty to do. If if you think about that picture of there's plenty of harvest, but there aren't enough workers. The laborers are few. 
I, I, from time to time, go and visit my sister. She lives in eastern Washington, and I try to time my trips out to eastern Washington when it is not hay season. And that's not just because I'm allergic to hay, but also because I know that if it's time for hay harvest, yours truly is going to be bucking hay. Because when it's time to harvest, it's time and we harvest today. That's what I've learned by going out to visit her. Sorry, hay's ready, here we go. Wait, I thought we were going to play games and drink coffee. Nope, buck and bales. We've got to go today. We, we don't get to wait until next week. Otherwise, it's not going to be any good. We have to get the hay up while, while what, what did they, we make hay, how does that saying go? Yeah, we make hay while the sun shines, right? We, we have to do this right now. We don't get to wait. We don't get to, to put it off. And so if we have people who are ready, we do that right now because the work needs to be done. And that's what he's saying is the harvest is plentiful. There's lots there. We just need people to go out and buck bales. You just got to go out there and pick it up. Let's not let it go to waste. And then as the disciples are seeing this, and as Jesus has seen this, he said, and there's so much need, pray, pray that God would send help. While I am trying to avoid hay season, my sister doesn't mind at all when I show up at hay season because the laborers are few. And so if we can inscript a brother or two to do this, this work, that's great news. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, that's the context for Matthew chapter 10. Here's Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. And he called to him his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these, first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So immediately after Jesus says, okay, guys, look at how much work there is to be done. Pray that God would send more workers out into his harvest. He says, guess what, guys? Your turn. Time to go. You're gonna, you've got work to do. And so he calls them. He calls them to himself. He, and it says in verse 1, and he called to him his 12 disciples. I don't know what it was that was special about these 12 guys, but somehow these were the inner circle. These were the, the inner circle. These were the, the 12 most prominent. Later on, we're going to talk, uh, the, later on, the church will um, be built sort of on these 12 guys. They're, they're going to be the council in Jerusalem, and, and everybody's going to refer to them and look to them because they know these 12 walked with Jesus. They followed Jesus. They learned from Jesus. They know what Jesus' mission is about, and so they all look to these 12 guys. So in some ways, these 12, when he calls these, these 12 guys, uh, they are special and set apart because these are the 12 disciples. 
And in other ways, they are representative of all disciples everywhere. They are the whole 12, all 12 of them, representative of all of Jesus' disciples. And this is what Jesus desires of all of his disciples. So he calls to him his 12 disciples. Now, do you, the word disciple, that just means student, right? Somebody who is learning from a teacher, from a master teacher. This is a student. And these students have been learning from Jesus. And, and it says, and he called to him his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out. Now, we've been seeing Jesus' work in the past, the work that he's been doing with uh, demons and unclean spirits, where he says, nope, get out of here. Go. In fact, we've seen that Jesus says very little to them at all. They, at times, can be quite chatty, asking Jesus what he's doing there, what he wants from them, what they must do, and Jesus says very little to them. Just go. Just drives them out. He has authority over them, and they recognize that. And now he's giving authority to his disciples, and he's saying, okay, I am commissioning you in my name. You have my authority. You have my authority. So they get to go out, and they get to be representatives of Jesus. They don't have authority in themselves, right? Like an, an ambassador for a country comes, and they have the authority of the, the president or the king or the ruler of that country, the government of that country. They have that kind of authority behind them. They don't have the authority in themselves, but they get to represent that authority. And Jesus is saying, now you disciples, you go out and you represent my authority. And so the things that you do, you do in my name as a representative of me, and it will be done in my authority. And so if you should encounter unclean spirits of, of any kind, you have my authority to cast them out and get rid of them. They have Jesus' authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Now, I feel like I have just read those words. And in fact, I have. Because in chapter 9, verse 35, it said, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. This is very clearly, Matthew is going, okay, in case you forgot from four verses ago, in case you forgot, they are going to do Jesus' mission. He's connecting very clearly that Jesus' work is Jesus' disciples' work. They were seeing Jesus model for them, this is what we do. This is the kind of work that I do. He's been teaching them, this is how we do it. This is what it looks like. This is why we do it. He's been teaching them, and as his students now, they are being sent out to be doing the exact same things. The exact same things. Jesus did not intend that his mission was going to be a solo mission. He intended that his mission would be picked up by his disciples and carried on beyond him. And so he's been training them, instructing them, so that they might go out and do the very same things. He gave, 
he called the 12 disciples, this is verse 1 again of chapter 10, gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. I want you to go out, he says, I want you to see the needs and I want you to meet those needs. Whatever it takes, whatever it looks like, you meet those needs. And it just got me thinking as we're like halfway through the book of Matthew, maybe not even quite halfway through the book of Matthew, and Jesus is taking his disciples and going, okay, training mission, guys. Time to do some training. Time to get into the lab. Labs were my favorite. In college, when you take classes, and some of the classes, you just sit there and you read the book and the instructor lectures at you. It's like, oh my goodness, what? Okay, write it down. Hope you can remember that stuff for the test. For what? You don't know. Am I ever going to use this again? Probably not. But labs, man, labs were fun. And then, when, you got, like when I got into chemistry labs and you start doing stuff, and then you start realizing, oh wait, I gotta pay more attention in class because I need to know how much of this to put into how much of that, or otherwise it goes Or you're handling something and you're like, my hands feel really slimy. Oh, that's because this is really basic and it's probably dissolving my skin. What should I do about that? Right? You, you, you're taking the learning and you're applying it in the lab. And what he's doing now is he's saying, okay, I want you to, to go out and I want you to apply the things that I have been teaching you, the things that I have been training you. You know what he has no expectation that they would do? That they would sit there and just really enjoy listening to his stories. And yet, I think that's what so many Christians want to do. Jesus is so sweet. Such a neat guy. He tells the best, most interesting stories, and I think there were disciples all around that were like, I just like to hang out with Jesus and see the cool things that he does and hear the cool things that he says, and I don't always get it. Sometimes he tells these weird stories and parables and things, and I'm like, do you understand what he's talking about? And they're like, no, I don't understand what he's talking about. And we talk about it together, and we try and figure it out, and then we're like, Jesus, what are you talking about? And then he explains, and he's such a cool guy to hang out with. And then you go home. And your family goes, what did you do today? Well, I went and I listened to Jesus for a little bit. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was. Thinking about going back and listening to Jesus some more tomorrow. Jesus has no expectation that his disciples are going to sit like it's a lecture hall and take notes and just sit and appreciate it. Now, there's some really cool things about Jesus. There's some really cool things about the scriptures and reading the Bible that we want to engage with, and I think that appropriately, we should read it and respond in worship and go, wow, that's amazing. But do you know that Jesus also wants to send out his workers into the harvest because there is so much work that needs to be done? And he has no expectation that we're going to be adding on master's degrees and doctorates and all kinds of different degrees and things so that we can just be smarter people. I was sitting in a Bible study class one time and um, was afterwards talking with a friend and he goes, man, that was so annoying. And I said, what was so annoying? The way that person was asking all those questions. I was like, you mean that person who's not a Christian yet, who didn't understand what we were talking about in the Bible? He's like, yeah, 
that was so frustrating. Like, I had real questions about stuff that's hard to understand, and they were asking all this basic stuff, and I was like, man, what are you even talking about? That was the best part of my week was the best part of my week to have somebody that didn't believe in Jesus and didn't understand anything about the Bible going, and what about this? And who's that? Do you know who has that kind of an attitude that they feel frustrated by somebody else asking questions and learning? Somebody who's very self-focused. I just want to learn about Jesus. Somebody who has gotten off mission, off topic. They're studying, they're learning for the sake of learning. And Jesus is saying, I'm not teaching you so that you will be smarter. I'm teaching you so that when you go out and do it, you'll have any idea what you're doing. I'm going to send you out so that when you do this stuff, you don't get eaten alive by those people. I want you to go out with my authority and do my work. So that more and more people will hear about my kingdom. And the good news that the kingdom of heaven is coming. There's no expectation that you would go and be a disciple of Jesus, a student of Jesus, without being sent on his mission. In fact, as we begin verse 2, it says, the names of the twelve apostles are these. Why did he do that? What did verse 1 say? And he called to him his twelve disciples. And then verse 2, and the names of the 12 apostles. Are we talking about the same guys? How come we switched from disciples to apostles? Are they disciples or are they apostles? What does disciple mean? Students, learning ones. What does apostle mean? Sent one. Ones who are being sent out. Are they the same guys? Yup. They're the same guys. The students are being sent out. Same guys. You who are a disciple or a student of Jesus are being sent out. You're being trained so that you can learn. And do you know, I, I went to seminary, I got my master's degree, uh, learned a lot about the Bible, thought I knew a lot until I got into ministry. Because in, in seminary, we had to take theology classes, and of all of the classes I hated, theology class may have been at the top. I just did not understand why we would need to debate all of these different things and wrestle about it. And here, this guy believed this thing because of the things that the Bible said, and this guy believed that thing because of the things that the Bible said, and they were just arguing back and forth, and I was going, I really don't care. I'm just following Jesus here. And then I got into ministry, and people started asking me questions about their lives, and I realized the theology made a difference, and I had to start all over on my studying of the theology so that I would understand when they were coming to me with these questions, what kind of counsel to give them based on what the Bible said. And I cared about theology. I still don't care about theological debates so much. 
in who's right and who's wrong, but I care very deeply about following Jesus and helping encourage people to follow him well based on good theology. But it came when it was applied. It came when you were sent. That's when the real learning comes. That's when the real growth comes. And so Jesus calls to him his 12 disciples, and then the names of the 12 sent ones that he is sending out, these 12 apostles, are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. Now, if you were listening as we read through this list earlier, you have first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and then James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, and you see that they are all in pairs. And it was driving me crazy. Why are they all in pairs like this? They can't all be brothers, right? They're, these are not all brother pairs. I get a, I understand Peter and his brother Andrew, and James and his brother John, I understand that. How come now you have Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, and I was struggling with this until we were praying right in that room right before the service, and uh, Josh said something about, thank you, Lord, that we get to work as a team, and I went, oh, right, teams, buddy system. Jesus was sending them out in pairs. He didn't send them all out in one group, and he didn't send them out one by one. He sent them out in pairs. And I went, I got to put that note in here so that I can tell you guys. Because to me, that was so cool. In, in the book of Luke, in chapter 10, verse 1 of the book of Luke, it says that he sent them out two by two. Matthew doesn't bother saying that. He just tells you who they were two by two. Well, now I care. The first pair is Simon, who's also called Peter. His name gets changed somewhere along the way. We'll talk about that at a different time. And Andrew, his brother. These two brothers, they go off together, Peter and Andrew. They're doing the work of God together. Then he's got two more brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. And they go off as a pair. And they're doing work together. And then you've got Philip and Bartholomew. And they're going off in a pair, and they're doing work together. Have you ever used the buddy system? I was in Boy Scouts as a boy, and we always had to have a buddy. We all, does everybody have their buddy? This way, you, everybody can look around and go, yep, my buddy is here, and we only have to count half as many boys. Right? That's, that's part of the, the magic of the buddy system, as far as Boy Scouts is concerned, is you only have to keep track of half of them, because then they're tr- keeping track of each other. That's part of it. Part of it is, if you lose a buddy team, at least they're together and they're not alone. Right? So there's some advantage there that if they get lost out in the woods or something, or didn't come back, at least we know they are together, because we have a buddy system, they're working together. Here he sends them out in this buddy system, sends them out together, and he's got Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. Isn't that interesting? Matthew says, I'd want you to know, I'm writing this down, I was the tax collector. We don't know that about everybody else. 
Matthew doesn't bother writing down for us all of the different ways that people are known. I mean, he tells us that Simon and, uh, was also called Peter, so that we are clear about that, and that he's brothers with Andrew. We have some name designations that James and John were the sons of Zebedee, mostly, though, so that we can distinguish James the son of Zebedee from James the son of Alphaeus, right? We, we include those people so that we don't just have James, and John, and then James and Thaddeus, and go, wait, wait, I thought you were talking about James and John. Now we have James and Thaddeus? Well, yeah, because one is the son of Zebedee, and the other is the son of Alphaeus. So we have those designations, but why does he he include that he was a tax collector? Why does he include that? He doesn't say Peter and Andrew, the fishermen, and James and John, the fishermen. We have no idea what Philip or Bartholomew did, He doesn't bother telling us. But Matthew wants you to know, look, even me, even me, a Roman sellout, I was a tax collector. I was a tax collector. Everybody hated me because I sold out to the Romans and profited by my alliance with the Romans. Just a couple of pairs later, we have Simon the Zealot. Can you get two people more different than Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot? The zealots were all about anti-Rome. We're going to raise up a kingdom for Israel again and overthrow the Roman government and take back our land. So you've got a Roman sellout and a zealot who's anti-Roman. Somehow these guys are on the same team. Jesus went, I don't care. You're coming with me. Forget the Romans. I'm bringing in the kingdom of heaven. And so he brings in Matthew and he brings in uh, Simon the Zealot and we have these hugely different people all on the same team. And one of the things that I appreciate about that, that I appreciate just even about Jesus in general, is that he looks at you and he doesn't see all of the external stuff that other people see. He's not care, he doesn't care about what you look like or the clothes that you're wearing or the family that you grew up in or what country you lived in, what political alliance you had before you came to him. He doesn't care about any of that. What he cares about is his kingdom that's coming. And so he takes all of these different people, and so in the church then, all of these different people from all kinds of different walks of life and background and family style, nationality, ethnic heritage, all come together in the church and work together because we are all put on a different mission, and it's Jesus's mission. So all of those things that we had before that we thought were priorities, and these are what define me and who I am, he says, no, we're going to erase all those categories and bring you in here. And you're going to get along with people who are very different than you, because I'm going to give you authority, my authority, to do my work. And when you're on mission doing my work, you don't have time to squabble about those other things. If I go out and I'm bucking bales for my sister and she brings somebody else along, I don't care who it is. 
if he's going to buck Bales too, I like him. He could be a, a University of Washington Huskies fan. I'd still like the guy. Because we're bucking bales together. And so the thing that we care about right now is that we are on mission for Jesus. We're doing work for Jesus. And all those other things don't matter. And so he pairs these guys off and he sends them out to do his work. And then we get down to the end. You've got James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And I look back over the list, and I go, I don't know these guys. Like, I know some of them. I, I know Peter. And when I think about disciples, I think Peter, James, John, boom, the three. Those, those guys. And I think about Jesus calling me to be one of his disciples. And I go, I don't know if I can be a disciple. And then I think about them being sent, and I think about being sent by Jesus, and I'm going, I, I am not a Peter, and I am not a James or an Andrew or a John. I'm not even a Matthew. Like, I, I'm not sure I can do this. Okay. How about James, son of Alphaeus? Well, I don't know anything about that guy. How about Thaddeus? What's a Thaddeus? I don't know, I don't know this guy. Other than being in this list, I know nothing about Thaddeus. And I think that's the point. I think that God uses named no-names to do His work. God uses named no-names to do His work. And so there had to be 12 names on this list, and Thaddeus is on this list. He could have been a really cool guy, or he could have been a bum. I have no idea. But his name is on this list because he's a disciple of Jesus, and he's being sent. And so when I think of myself as being unqualified or unworthy to be a disciple of Jesus, he goes, look, just because you have a name doesn't mean your name is important. You are a named, no-name disciple of Jesus. What's important is that you are following Jesus as a disciple and sent by Jesus to do his work. That's what's important following Jesus as a disciple, and sent by Jesus to do his work. Your name doesn't matter. Your background doesn't matter. Your intelligence doesn't matter. Your skill doesn't matter. None of that stuff matters because you are being sent under Jesus' authority to do Jesus' work. And you go, wait, Travis, I, I can't do Jesus' work. Yeah, nobody can. It's Jesus' work. That's why he puts his Holy Spirit in you and says, you have my authority, go. We just step out and do it. 
We see the needs, we see the brokenness, and we seek to meet those needs and tell people the good news about the kingdom of heaven that has come. That Jesus has come to restore his creation. And one day he will return and make it perfect and invite them into his kingdom so that they too may follow Jesus and be sent to do his work. And you get down to Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. And Judas, this is the first time we hear about Judas in the book of Matthew. And the very first time we hear about Judas or the betrayal of Jesus, Jesus, uh, Matthew tells us, and there was Judas the one who betrayed Jesus. So if you're reading the book of Matthew for the first time and you get to this and you're reading this list of 12 disciples, you get to Judas Iscariot who betrayed him, you go, oh, so I guess uh, Jesus is going to get betrayed and this guy's the one who's going to do it. We're not talking about a fringe character. Judas was, was not like one of the 72 or one of the 120 or one of the thousands that was fed when Jesus was feeding the, the multitudes. Judas was one of the 12. He was on the inside. The inside, the inside. Judas was one of the 12. And he was a betrayer. And I say that because I want you to know that even today there are disciples who will betray Jesus. And they are going to cause all kinds of destruction when they do. Real disciples, real people following Jesus who then betray him. People on the inside And I want you to know that because the temptation is when we see people who are on the inside betray Jesus, we go, then there's no hope. The church must be completely broken because look at what this self-proclaimed disciple has done. Discredits all of the work of the church. Discredits all the work of Jesus. Judas was known as the betrayer, the one who betrayed Jesus. And I want you to know there are still people who are in the church who are, who are self-proclaimed disciples of Jesus who will betray him, who will betray his people, and who are going to cause problems. And I want you to know that, just like just like Matthew is already giving us a preview of something that's going to happen, I want to give you a preview. I don't know necessarily who it is. Even as I'm saying it, you may be thinking of somebody in your mind who has already done it. And I want you to know that is not unexpected. It will not thwart God's plans. 
These are people who are on the inside sent by Jesus. When Jesus sent them out to go two by two, Judas was one of the ones that he sent out. When he gave them authority to cast out unclean spirits and to heal every disease and every affliction, Judas was one of those. He was out doing that work, high-level stuff. He was so important as part of the 12 that he was the treasurer of the group. He was the one that kept track of the money. He was important to this organization of disciples. But Jesus wants you to know that even if they betray me, my work will not go unfinished. Even if they cause destruction in the church, Jesus is still faithful and his mission will still continue. Do not be thrown by the failures and betrayals of disciples of Jesus, no matter their standing. Because our temptation sometimes is to go, wow, that was a really good one. And if they can't do it, then neither can I. But Jesus is calling you to be his disciple. He's saying, come and follow me. Come and follow me, and I will show you what to do. In fact, at the end of the book of Matthew, we reach Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, and Jesus comes to his disciples. This is after his death and resurrection, and he comes to his disciples and he tells them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He is calling you. He is sending you out. Are you a student of Jesus? What is he sending you to do? You may have heard me refer to a question that gets asked in my family often, which is, what is God teaching you right now? And after studying this passage, I was thinking about that. That's a really good disciple question. What is Jesus teaching you right now? But I want to add to that, and what is he sending you to do? What are you being sent to do right now? So that we will see both of those things together, both what Jesus is teaching us about who he is and about his love for us, and also that we will have eyes to see what he is sending us to do, the harvest, the work that he is sending us out to do, so that we might see it and know what he is sending us to do. One of the small ways we can do that, you can join the Kingdom Initiative. We've been talking about that since the beginning of the year. And you can, can sign up for, for that, uh, and you'll get a text message each day, just a single text message. 
with something small that you can do. The idea of this is that all year long, you'll get just a single text message with something to prompt you to think about the coming of God's kingdom. Sometimes it's a scripture to think about or memorize or meditate on. Sometimes it's a, something to pray about or someone to pray for. Sometimes it's a, a small action that you can do. Uh, recently, it was smile at people. That's a very small way to bring the kingdom of God here, right? But what we're trying to do is just to have in mind what it means to be Jesus' disciples in everyday life. And so I want you to, to think about following Jesus and being sent by him to do his work. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we are unworthy to be called your disciples. Lord, when we look back at the things that we have done and our background, we are not worthy to be your disciples. And that does not keep you from using us for the sake of the growth of your kingdom. How marvelous and magnificent that you, the God of all creation, sovereign of all things, would use us to participate in your kingdom bringing mission. You didn't need us for that. Lord, would you forgive us for the times when we do not want to do the work? For those times when we feel unworthy of it? And instead, would you show us the privilege that it is to participate not in our own strength and under our own authority, but under your authority and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that we would not be like Judas, that we would not betray you and cause damage to your church and to your kingdom. And so, Father, we ask that you would make us faithful And I ask for these, that first you would call them as your disciples, and then that you would send them as your apostles, that your kingdom might grow, and that they might glorify you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.